Well, I invite you to turn to Jonah chapter 2 this morning. We are in a study on this wonderful short story, and short it is. It is just four short chapters. We will have four messages. Chapter 2 only has 10 verses, as does chapter 3. And you'll recall that we left Jonah in detention last week. God has him right where he wants him, and he's put him in the corner. He's put him actually in the belly of a great fish. I wonder if you've ever had a near-death experience. I suspect that we could take the microphone and we could go around the room today and we could have some tremendous stories of moments in your life where you nearly died or you thought you were going to die. I know that uh, on occasion I've had that happen and sometimes the occurrence was over and I was looking back and I realized that was a close call. And even as it happened, I didn't necessarily realize how close to death I was. I do recall one time where I, I thought I was going to die that afternoon. It was uh, the spring of 1984, the spring of 1984, and um, I was actually only two weeks out from marrying Janet. I was in a youth internship at Grace Gospel Church in Huntington, West Virginia. My buddies at Appalachian Bible College and Alpine Bible Camp called me up, said we got a big trip, come down and help us run the river. I had been a guide on the New River in southern West Virginia. Some of you have taken that ride down the lower New. And uh, uh, that's not a picture of my boat, but it's uh, a picture of a boat entering a rapid, a Class 5 rapid called the Greyhound Bus Stopper on the New River Gorge. Well, that beautiful May afternoon, uh, we had a great trip going, and as we headed into the Greyhound Bus Stopper, I lost control of my boat. The water was rising, was pushy, and I flipped my boat, washed out all my customers, but I was stuck in the rapid in a hydraulic circulating it doesn't matter how strong of a swimmer you are. It doesn't matter how strong or weak of a person you are, whether you're wearing your life jacket or not at that point. Um, you are being tossed about uh, like a rag doll in a washing machine. And I knew exactly the situation I was in, and, and I was circulating under the water, and it would go up, up, and get lighter, 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 and then I thought I was going to pop out, but I would go down, down, down. It would get darker, 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 and then it would get light, 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 and then dark, dark, dark. And I can remember exactly what I was thinking. I'm a little bit embarrassed as your pastor that I didn't pray. I had two thoughts. The first thought was, I'm going to die. And the actual quote in my head that I actually remember was, stink, I'm going to die. <laughs> I, I didn't have a fear. I knew I would enter the presence of the Lord. That wasn't processing through my mind. Uh, my mind had already gone to the second thought that I had. And after I said, stink, I'm going to die, I thought, Janet's going to be so mad at me. <laughs> and right then, I popped out of the end of that rapids. <laughs> And immediately began to be concerned for my customers. As you can see, I did live happily ever after and uh, healthily ever after. And we survived and all is well. Near-death experiences. I'm sure that you, some of you have had them. I wonder if you can remember your thoughts. I wonder if you prayed. In our story today, we have a man in a near-death experience. I completely believe in this account that Jonah believes he's going to die. Now, we have the advantage of reading the story and knowing the end of the story. Recognize that Jonah writes this account of what he was thinking and what he was praying 
when he was in the water, when the fish swallows him, and the three days that he remains in the belly of this fish, and it is sometime future after the event, he's able to process it, and he sits down and he actually writes a poem about it. It's really a psalm. Chapter 2 is, is, a, is poetic prose written as a psalm. In fact, you could even subtitle your chapter 2 in the story of Jonah, the psalm of a prodigal prophet or the prophet's psalm. He does tell us what he was thinking, and we know that he was praying. We don't know so much about his heart attitude. It's revealed a little bit through his prayer. I want us to examine Jonah's prayer. I've called it Jonah's prayer. That's what's subtitled in my Bible as well. Let's read Jonah chapter 2 as we proceed with our story. Let's pick it up in chapter 1, verse 17, actually, and remind ourselves that after Jonah had been awakened from the bottom of the boat where he was on his way running far and fast from the Lord. He has heard from God. He is a man of God. He's a prophet of God. God has given him clear instruction and Noah, Jonah, I finally did it, Jonah has purposely and intentionally disobeyed God. Though he's been a lifelong servant of God, he has been an effective prophet of God. We have an account of him in the Old Testament being used of God. In 2 Kings, in this story, we recognize that when he hears from God, he runs from God and he disobeys God. He is a prodigal prophet. You recall that they had the, they cast lots on the deck of the ship. These Phoenician sailors were very superstitious. They were polytheistic. They knew that there must be some kind of God of the sea, God of the storms, God of lightning, God of thunder, God of rain, God of wind. And somehow they needed to appease the wrath of the gods. They are full of fear. They believe they're going to die. The lot falls on Jonah and he tells them that he's running from his God. They throw him overboard with his own cooperation. They turn then and make sacrifices to Jonah's God, the one true God, Yahweh, I don't believe that they were converts. I believe they added it to their, many, their list of many gods, and they were doing their best to just appease and thank that God. Jonah is now plunging into the water, and verse 17 says, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me, out of the belly of Sheol, I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall look, I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head. At the roots of the mountains I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. And when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Well, it's a most interesting account. I want us to break down his prayer and take a look at it. I, um, as I've been looking at this prayer, I've been bothered by it. And as we move along, I will ultimately reveal 
what bothers me about his prayer. But let's examine Jonah's prayer here as he's running from the Lord. The first thing we see in this prayer, in this psalm that he writes, is that this, number one, is a spontaneous prayer of a man in distress. I think we would all agree with that. Jonah has been in a, a, just a ferocious storm, horrific circumstances, and then essentially without warning, the lot is cast on him and he finds himself pitched into the sea. And then we don't know the timetable, how far into the water he went. We don't know if he nearly drowns before the fish swallows him. But we see right away that Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. We don't know if Jonah was praying as he went overboard, as he was going through the water, but certainly as he recounts this and writes it down, he, he knows that in the belly of the fish, he was praying. This is a good spot to remind ourselves that we're not spending a lot of time trying to figure out what kind of fish it was. A lot of people do that. It's, in, it's, it's inconsequential to the story. Um, some people build an argument that it must have been a whale because whales are mammals and mammals surface every so many minutes to gulp a new gulp of air and that somehow in a large mammal-like whale, like a blue whale, for example, that are so huge, a man could easily fit down their throat, live in chambers of the stomach, and somehow air pockets could be trapped within and he could survive. Well, that's possible. What I would suggest is it doesn't really matter. The Bible doesn't tell us what kind of a fish. It tells us that God appointed the fish. It was a miracle. And if you could figure it out, it's not a miracle. It's a line of logic if you can figure it out. But this was a miracle. God just spoke. He commanded this fish and the fish swallows Jonah. Jonah is there in the belly of the fish. And he says, I called out to the Lord, verse 2, out of my distress. And he answered me, out of the belly of Sheol, I cried, and you heard my voice. It is a spontaneous prayer. He didn't have time to get to do anything. He just, he just knows that he's in big trouble and he's in distress. And I think that, that we can assure ourselves, letter A, that he is completely out of control. Maybe you know that feeling. You are out of control. You are in distress. And you immediately begin to shout out to the Lord. Secondly, I think that Jonah is convinced that this is the end. As I reference, we know the end of the story. Jonah doesn't know the end of the story. I find it very difficult for him to, for, I find it difficult to believe that Jonah would have understood that once the fish swallows him, ah, I'm safe. I just find that incongruous. I think he must think that pretty soon, in a day or two, he will be fertilizer being squirted out the other end. And so Jonah's in the belly of the fish. He's in distress. He's absolutely out of control in these circumstances. You keep your mind engaged because you need to think about times in your life where maybe God has brought out of control circumstances. God's not wasting his time. I wonder if Jonah is wasting God's time. Let's read on. I think that Jonah, when he prays, is serious. I think he's absolutely serious. But I think it's fair to say that this is the serious prayer of a man who is still in rebellion. He is in rebellion. This is the serious prayer of a man in rebellion. I mean, think about it. Just nanoseconds before he was in the water, he was still running from God to the degree that he, would, he refused to repent. He refused to get right with God. In fact, he wanted to die rather than to do what God wanted him to do. He is that strong in his disobedience, his intentional disobedience. 
He had heard the word of the Lord. He knew exactly what God wanted him to do. And you can, you can rationalize all you want that he loved his nation, Israel, and that the Assyrians and their capital in Nineveh were, were going to be used of God. Hosea and Amos had already prophesied that they're going to come from the north and they're going to wreak destruction upon Israel. And somehow in Jonah's mind and, and idea set, he was the mouthpiece for God to go tell them, in, you need to repent or in 40 days God is going to destroy you. And somehow, evidently in Jonah's mind, he worked it out that if he would avoid that mission, they would not hear the message of the grace and mercy of Almighty God and God would be forced to follow through on his commitment to destroy them off the face of the earth. And therefore, the enemy of Israel would be obliterated and Israel would survive is that what he was working out in his mind? It could very well be. Regardless, he's a prophet of God, and he's a man of God, and as a prophet of God who hears the word of God, his job is to obey God, not decide to pick and choose what he's going to follow through on and what he's not, based upon his own personal patriotic preferences. So this is a serious prayer. I have no doubt about that. Jonah is praying with all of his heart and mind here. But I think he's still a man in rebellion. He definitely recognizes God's role. Look at what it says. For you, verse 3, you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas. And the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. He recognizes that God has a role. These are God's waves. This is God's storm. I recognize that you, God, are doing this to me. Secondly, I think he references his own intention or his own plan. His own plan was to do what? God told him to go to Nineveh. He goes down to Joppa, buys a ticket, and runs to Tarshish, right? 2,500 miles in the opposite direction. And when he goes, what does he say he's doing? I want to flee from the presence of the Lord. Notice what it says in verse 4. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall look again upon your holy temple. I think that's a reference to Jonah recognizing that in his intent to run from the presence and eyesight of God, that God has put him down so deep in the ocean that Poetically speaking, God can't even see him down there. But he acknowledges the presence of God. I don't know if you see how he puts that together. He recognizes God's role in the storm. He references his own plan to get out of God's sight. And he poetically describes himself as being away from the sight of God. He realizes his helpless situation. Look at verses 5 through 7. The waters closed in over me to take my life. And the deep surrounded me. Is this a description, the first part of verse 5, of when he hit the water and was going through the water? The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. Is that the topography? Is that the terrain of the bottom of the Mediterranean Sea that it gets very, very deep um, in some places? I understand um, several thousands of feet deep. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. 
I think that at this point, he's thinking, I'm going to die. What does it mean, the bars closed in? It's like a cage. Some people suggest that that might be the rib cage of this huge fish, and that he's jostled in there and smashed in there, and he feels the rib cage, and he pictures it in his mind as though he's in prison. He's in the cage. He's in a box. The bars closed. Is he just talking about the bars of death? It's, it's terminology that the psalmist used. If you look up back, clear back up in verse 2, he says, I called, on, on the Lord, called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried, and you heard my voice. If you would turn to, you don't do that right now, but if you would turn to Psalm 18.6, it's almost a direct quote right out of the psalmist. You delivered me out of Sheol. You put me here. Sheol, by the way, is the place of the dead. It's why I think that Jonah thought he was going to die. He thought he was going to Sheol. There was a righteous compartment and an unrighteous compartment, but it was a, it was a place, a holding place of the dead. In the, Hebrews, in the Hebrew mind, they understood completely what Sheol was. Your Bible might translate it the depths of the grave. Now, it is interesting to note that some people uh, try to argue that Jonah died. Back in verse 5, it says, The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. The weeds were wrapped about my head. Was that weeds that he was going through on the way down? Was the water shallow enough that there were weeds there? Were there floating patches of water weed that he went through? After the fish swallowed him, did the fish have weeds in its gut so that he entangled in the stomach chamber or wherever he was held where there was enough oxygen to believe? Some people argue that he drowned and that he died and that three days later he rose from the dead and when he was regurgitated up on the shore that God instilled life back in him and that that is why it's a parallel and a picture of what our Lord says that the sign of Jonah is that as, the, as Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the depths of the earth three days and three nights and so Jesus was for parts of three days and parts of three nights. He was after his crucifixion in the grave, and then he rose again. And Jonah's a picture of that as a sign to unbelievers. I personally don't think that he died. I personally think that he thought he was going to die. I think that he is a man still in rebellion. I don't think that he's quite right with God yet. He is praying to God. How many of you know that feeling? You know you're not quite right with God, but you believe God is with you and you still pray and you still have this conversation going with God and you're asking God to get you out of a situation. You might even thank God for what he's doing to get you out of a situation. I find it difficult to believe as I reference that Jonah in the belly of the whale thinks he's going to survive he recognizes God's role. He references his own plan to be out of the sight of God. And now God has him out of sight in the bottom of the ocean, so to speak. He realizes his, his helpless situation, continuing in 5 through 7. Letter C, number 2. He realizes his helpless situation. The water's closed in. The seaweed wraps around him. He goes down to the, whatever these bars are that close in on him, this rib cage, perhaps. But yet then he says, yet you brought... Up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I was nearly dead. I remembered the Lord. And letter D is he remembers the Lord and he prays. Some of you can relate to that, can't you? You've been running from God. God has sent circumstances into your life. And all of a sudden you realize, I am not going to live out of it. I'm not going to survive this one. And you begin to talk to God and you begin to ask God, you begin to tell the Lord where you are, what you're doing. Come on, Lord. 
help me out. And I think as he continues, it seems to me that this prophet who is a prodigal, he's running from God still, even in the ocean. And I think he's a man who's been in rebellion and is still in rebellion. I think number three, this is the strategic prayer of a man who's in denial. He refuses to face up to the real issues in his life. There's some things he just doesn't say that I'm looking for him to say. And you say, well, Pastor Van, he doesn't have time. I say he has three days to lay there and think about it. Or is it lie there and think about it? This is the strategic prayer of a man in denial. First thing he does in verse 8 is he points out a contrast, doesn't he? He says, those who pay regard to vain idols... Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. It could be a reasonable, rational contrast between the righteous and the wicked. Often writers of Scripture would do that. But you almost get the idea that he points out this contrast like, Look, I'm not like those pagan sailors that are up on the boat. I will turn my heart to you. I will worship you. He says in the verse 7, at the end of verse 7, above that, I remembered the Lord. Now he's writing this after the fact, looking back, reflecting upon his experience. And he says, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came up to you, into your holy temple. He says, those who pay regard in vain idols, they forsake. I, with the voice of thanksgiving, I will sacrifice to you. And what I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. He's acknowledging that his help has to come from the Lord. That is often a cry of the psalmist. Our salvation comes from the Lord. My help comes from the Lord. Jonah certainly knows where his help is going to come from. So he points out a contrast between himself and the ungodly sailors, I would presume. And then he pledges his commitment to God. But I, with a voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. What is the vow? I have no idea. It doesn't tell us what the vow is, does it? So you might not agree with me, and I wouldn't get my head cut off for this, but it seems to me that what's happening here is that we have a guy who's in a foxhole, and he thinks he's not going to live, and he's starting to make a deal with God. Lord, get me out of here, and I will keep my vow. What is it, his prophet's vow, when he was ordained, that he would always do the will and word of God that is as revealed to him? What's his vow? Is he saying to God in the belly of the fish, I'll go to Nineveh, I'll go to Nineveh. I don't think that's what he's saying because as soon as we get to chapter 3 next week, guess what? He doesn't seem to get up off the shore and run to Nineveh. It says the word of the Lord has to come to him again and tell him where to go. Now this time he goes. So I don't know the condition of Jonah's heart completely here. It just seems to me that it's a guy who's, who's not really ready to surrender to God completely. I continue to believe that when I read into chapter 4, after he's done preaching, Nineveh repents, and he just goes into a, a hissy fit. He loses his temper. He gets angry. He's bitter. He's caustic. He's upset, and he would rather have 120,000 young children in Nineveh die than him lose the shade of his little bush that God grew for him, and then the book just ends. It's over. I just don't think this guy was ever quite right in the experience here. He's praying strategically. I'm not like the pagans, and I'll keep my vow if you get me out of here. How many of you have prayed, prayed foxhole prayers? 
Lord, I don't think I'm... Lord, get me out of this and I'll do it. Lord, I'll stop smoking and drinking if you get me out of this one. Yeah, for about four hours or 40 minutes, whatever. I think as we look at the whole and we back up from chapter 2 in these 10 verses that this is the selective prayer of a man who's just not yet broken. He's praying, but he's praying selectively. He's, he's praying a crooked prayer here. He prays for help, yes. I cried out to the Lord, verse 2. He gets help, verses 6 and 9. My help comes from the Lord. The Lord is the Lord of salvation. He's thankful for help. So he prays for help. He gets help. He is thankful for help, verse 9. With a voice of thanksgiving will I sacrifice you. I'm thankful that you're going to help me. I don't know how he's putting the two together. In the belly of the fish, he certainly could not have known that he was going to be out yet. After it's over, he looks back and he says, I thank the Lord for getting me out. But what screams out to me is this, in the silence of this passage is there is no word at all of repentance. There is nowhere in the passage where Jonah says, I have sinned against you, God, and I have sinned against heaven. Lord, the reason I'm here is because of my disobedience. He never seems to say that. Now, granted, the scriptures never condemn Jonah, and Jesus never condemns Jonah. He only uses him as a type. You know, we have another story of a prodigal in our Bible, don't we? It's Luke chapter 15. You don't have to turn there. Most of you know the story quite well. In Luke chapter 15, remember that trilogy? The lost coin, the lost sheep, and the lost son. The lost son we call the prodigal son. Remember, we don't like him very much. He kind of spits in his dad's face, roughs up his elderly father, asks for his inheritance, basically telling his father, I wish you were as good as dead. I wish you were dead so I could just get my inheritance. I hate this farm. I hate this house. I hate this town. I can't believe I live here. I want to get out of here. I'm heading to L.A., man. Come on. I know where real life is. And, he get, and his father says, okay, son, you can have your inheritance. He runs off, spends his money on riotous living, the King James says. Finds out he really doesn't have any friends once he's out of money. And then one day when he's eating out of the bottom of a hog trough, a good Jewish boy eating with pigs out of the pig slop bucket, it occurs to him that the servants on his father's farm have it better than he does. And he decides that he'll make a deal with his father that he will just become no longer a son, but I will become a servant if you'll just let me live back in the bunkhouse in the back of the barn. Ah, this is where the great part of the story is, right? Where's the father? The boy's walking down the road. He's coming home. Where's his daddy? He's on the porch. My boy, come home, boy. And then one day, over the rise in the road comes his son, right? And Papa runs to him. And what's interesting is that the boy has a statement prepared. And it's a good statement for restoration. He says, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. And I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And the father forgives him. He restores him. But the boy said the right words. His heart was broken. 
He put the relationship back together. And nowhere in our passage do we see that from Jonah. Nowhere in the whole book does he ever say, I have been disobedient, I have run from you, I have gone to a faraway land. Father, forgive me. I have sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your prophet. And that would be true, wouldn't it? What good is a prophet of God who doesn't do what God asked him to do? What good is a prophet who knows the word of God and intentionally disobeys the word of God? You just don't see it. But somehow God has accomplished what he wants to accomplish with Jonah in the belly of the fish. And the the chapter ends, verse 10, And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out on dry land. I can remember in Bible college talking about that verse with my buddies, and, and the Bible says it vomited him out on dry land, so it must be he, he popped him out through the air. Up onto dry land? Is this big fish in a shallow enough spot of water where he could get him out? Oh, he's kind of funny to picture all that. Jonah gets out, he's on the beach, and there he is, and that's where we'll leave him. I'm not sure I understand exactly all that went on in Jonah's heart and mind. I'm not sure I'm exactly correct in the conclusions I've drawn. But I think it's worth thinking about how do you pray when you think you're going to die? There are a couple lessons for us to take home. What's been happening in this underwater scene here? One thing that I think is happening is that God is directing circumstances in Jonah's life to get his attention. God is getting Jonah's attention. He's telling him he knows right where he is, I know right where you are, and I'm at work in your life. It's time to stop running. I wonder if there are circumstances in your life that God is using to get your attention. One thing we know from the passage is that God will hear your prayer. And he is the God of salvation. Salvation belongs to the Lord. I wonder if there's some prodigals here today who need to give up and surrender and take the prayer of the prodigal son and admit that you've sinned against heaven and you've sinned against whoever else and ask for their forgiveness. You know, those words aren't really that hard to say. I was with somebody this week, and I was reminding just past week, and they are in a hugely broken relationship. I said, why don't you say this? Why don't you look at the other party, and why don't you say, I have sinned against you, and I have sinned against God. Will you please forgive me? Some of you, God has you churning and twisting and turning and in the belly of the proverbial fish and you refuse to look at God and say I've sinned against you and I've sinned against heaven and the relationships around you let the circumstances that God is bringing into your life drive you back to your heavenly father secondly God is demonstrating his grace just like he will for Nineveh he's he's demonstrating his grace in Jonah's life just like he will for Nineveh he's a God of second chances you can go to him he's the God of salvation He's merciful. This is the part that Jonah's really struggling with because he knows that God is merciful even to pagan Ninevites and he hates them so much he doesn't want God to forgive them. But we all love it when the mercy and grace of God is applied to us. 
Jonah wants God's mercy applied to himself, doesn't he? Even if he doesn't want it applied to others. And I think that God is trying to teach him, just like I'll show mercy to you, I'll show mercy and grace to the Ninevites. God is developing his servant. He's not done with him yet. He's not done with him. You know, if you're still breathing air and you're not six foot under and you're in tough circumstances and you're running from God, one thing you need to know, God's not done with you yet. And you're, you're in school. You're in detention. And God's trying to get your attention. He's trying to get you where he wants you. After all, you could be like Jonah, run from God and do this and do that. How's that working for you? You could say to Jonah, how's this working for you, buddy? This is going well, huh? Seaweed wrapped around your head, down in the belly of a fish in the bottom of the Mediterranean, getting ready to be converted into fertilizer. This is a good life. Why don't you just bow your head and humble your heart and accept the mercy and grace of our Heavenly Father and recognize He's not done with you and He can use you and He will use you. God is also drawing a prophetic picture of Jesus. I've referenced that. All of this is happening in our Lord in the New Testament, we'll reference it, that just like Jonah was in the belly of the fish, so I'll be in the tomb and in the grave and rise again. It's a picture of our Lord Jesus of what's happening here in the Old Testament. Well, we're going to stop right there. We'll pick up chapter 3 next week. I wonder, what do you think and what do you say and what do you pray when you're in bad situations? Don't be afraid to run to your heavenly father. The, pro- the prodigal prophet tried to run. Come on back home to your heavenly father. Let's stand together and close in prayer, shall we? Before I pray, maybe the spirit of God has convicted you through the word of God. You know, I know that many of us have clearly understood the word of God and we have intentionally disobeyed the word of God, just like Jonah. We're running far and fast from God. Why don't you humble your heart? Ask God to forgive you. Return to your heavenly father. There's a reason your life's been trashed lately. There's a reason you're in the storms. There's a reason the circumstances are killing you. It's because God's not done with you yet. The first step you need to do is just get right with your heavenly father. And you can do that right now. And so, Father, you know our hearts, you know our minds. Thank you that you are merciful, a God of grace, a God of new beginnings. Father, we uh, just pray that as we go from here, we'll ponder and continue to think through all the lessons that Jonah must have learned in the belly of the fish. Would you help us to learn the lessons that you have for us today? In Jesus' name, amen.